Thank you very much for joining us here today. I'm happy to be here with uh, Dr. Vesta Michelle Warren, President of the Alberta Medical Association. And we're here to announce a new agreement between the Government of Alberta and the AMA. Through a ratification vote that ended yesterday, physicians across the province voted to support a new agreement. It's a step forward for physicians, for patients, and for our health system as a whole. The agreement is a foundation to build on, to build the kind of relationship I want and our government wants with physicians, and that I think physicians want with government. It embodies the respect that all of us as Albertans feel for doctors and the tremendous work that they do, more than ever through the last very tough two and a half years of COVID. The agreement will ensure that compensation to Alberta physicians remains competitive, but quite frankly, it's much more than that. It's about working together to serve patients better across our entire healthcare system. A lot of work went to getting us to this day, and I wanna start by thanking Dr. Warren for her leadership and that of her bargaining team. The process had to start with two things. First, we had to build good faith and trust. And I've had that with Dr. Warren. And it's been really an honor to work with you throughout the last year. And I look forward to working with your successor, Dr. Rinaldi, in the year to come. And second, we had to listen to physicians and to the AMA. Everything in this agreement followed from that. It's about working in partnership to address the concerns that physicians have brought forward. Partnership is embodied in this agreement in a number of ways. First, there are specific processes for us to work together to resolve outstanding issues, including stipends, overhead and Z codes, caps to daily visits, virtual code enhancements for psychiatry, and extending physician support programs to medical examiners. Second, it, it includes a commitment to bringing any issue affecting physicians to a joint master committee. It includes express recognition for the needs for physician expertise in designing alternative payment systems and other structures that they work in. Where there's disagreement, there's a process to resolve this with binding arbitration. And it commits both parties to shared objectives. It includes gain sharing, where, where there are savings identified through the agreement, we will share them equally between government and physicians. Now, as part of this agreement, the government will repeal legislation that gives us the ability to terminate compensation-related agreements, and the AMA will stop the lawsuit against the government in this regard. The agreement is an important step forward because there's a huge amount of work that we need to do, and we need to do it together. As I said last week in announcing the primary care project, we need to do two things, and they really apply to physicians and the health system in general, as well as to primary care. We need to act urgently to stabilize the system and address the pressures that have increased with the pandemic. And we need to plan for longer term transformation in physician practice and in the wider health system. And this agreement helps us do this together. The agreement recognizes the impact of the pandemic on uh, physician practices and provides an injection of funds to stabilize them, concentrated on family practice where the need is the greatest. It also includes support for business continuity and lump sum payments. It recognizes the need to fund volume growth and complexity. There's no cap on total physician services budget, no budget risk or liability for doctors in this agreement. It recognizes the need for renewal and primary care through distribution of annual increases 
and an injection of fund into primary care networks, PCNs. Given uncertainty about the future, it provides fair process to determine rates in the fourth year of the contract. And there are also new initiatives to support rural recruitment and retention. The overall agreement will provide an additional 750 million new dollars over the course of the next four years. Now specifically, the overall rate increase is about approximately 4% in line with other recent collective agreements. However, the increases are not the same among all specialties. Family medicine will see an effective increase of 5.2%, including rate increases and other investments. Other specialties that will see larger increases are neurology, pediatrics, obstetrics and gynecology, and psychiatry. And this was a really important item for the AMA, and we worked together to actually build this agreement. There will also be a 1% lump sum payment in 22-23. In addition, there will be approximately $250 million in new spending over the four-year term on targeted initiatives in areas physician told us were important, like supply in rural areas, practice viability, and supporting business costs. Targeted annual investments over the four-year term include $15 million for physician recruitment and retention, $12 million for rural remote northern program, $12 million for physician support programs, and $20 million for the business cost program. And just to be clear, this is in addition to the funding we already provide for these programs. The remainder of the, the increase of $250 million targeted funding will go to one-time investments and change management supports for physicians considering alternate payment models and to support physicians adopting new information technology systems that improve patient care. There's also $40 million in the new agreement for primary care networks to support family physicians. There will also be another $2 million increase in funding for the RESIDE program that provides incentives for family physicians to practice in underserved rural and remote communities. In years three and four, we are committing to a minimum level of spending on physician services, which will grow each year based on population growth and changes in health needs. Physicians will be actively involved in shared responsibility to review compensation rates in year four relative to the market to help bring them closer alignment with Ontario West jurisdictions. A global rate adjustment will also occur in the fourth year to reflect general economic and fiscal conditions. And this agreement is much more than just these specific investments, as important as they are. We're taking real steps forward in addressing issues within medical practice that have been needed for decades, including internal equity, in particular the need to better recognize the value of general practices. We're also moving forward on alternative models of compensation, again, especially in family medicine, to make sure it remains attractive to the next generation of medical students and residents. And we are also undertaking a review of the effectiveness of our current support programs. We need the agreement to address issues in physician practice, and we need a renewed partnership with physicians to work together on the wider challenges facing our healthcare system. Now, two of our most urgent issues are the need for more access to primary care and the need to recruit and retain more rural physicians. AHS has had success in recruiting to many communities like Medicine Hat, Lethbridge, and Lloyd Minister recently. But the past three years have been tough, especially in smaller communities, and recruitment of rural physicians is harder than ever. We need more doctors in the smaller communities across the province, and the agreement will be a boost to our recruitment and our ability 
to be able to succeed in this area. We train the best doctors in the world, including the best rural doctors. And we're one of the, we actually, in fact, we are the most welcoming province in Canada for internationally trained doctors who are critical to many of our small communities. And this agreement will help us support them. We need to renew and reinvest in family practice and primary care, and the agreement will directly support that work. We need to add capacity across the system and keep working towards the goal of better access to scheduled surgeries and other care that we had before COVID. And more broadly, in order to do any of that, we need to rebuild our health workforce, including doctors. And we need to send a message to young people in Alberta across Canada that this is the best place in Canada to build a career in healthcare, whether in medicine or nursing or any other healthcare profession, because we are investing in our healthcare system. Now, since January 1st of this year, we've supported AHS in signing new collective agreements with all four of the major groups of healthcare workers, RNs, LPNs, paramedical and technical professions, and support workers. But there was one left, this one. And this agreement is important to doctors, it's important to patients, it's important to Albertans, and I can tell you, it's important to me. So I'm honored to stand here with Dr. Warren today and announce this agreement. And I'm honored to support our doctors and everyone in our healthcare system and the work that they do for Alberta patients every day. So thanks again to the AMA for, and doctors for ratifying this agreement. And thanks again, Dr. Warren, for your incredible work and actually making this happen. And now I'll turn the mic over to you. Thanks very much. So I'm very glad to be here today. It has been an incredibly long journey. And I wanna thank the physicians, our resident physicians, and our medical student members of the AMA for their support over the past three years and for everything that they do every day to serve patients, not to mention everything they've had to do through COVID. The contributions have been and continue to be remarkable. The care that you see today in our system is because of that passion and that commitment to doing what is necessary for patients. I also want to thank Minister Copping for his efforts to rebuild a relationship in which interest-based negotiations would be possible. His spirit of collaboration and drive to rebuild really has made a world of difference. We've achieved an agreement that is good for physicians, it's good for patients, and it's good for the healthcare system that supports them. Because that support is not only a good thing, but it's a necessary thing. There are many large issues facing us, and this agreement just sets us on the road to begin to seek solutions. We've seen what happens when we work in silos and isolation, and it doesn't end well. We have to work together because the healthcare system is everyone that's in it. It's doctors, it's nurses, it's our support workers, it's community practices, it's health, it's AHS, it's lab, you name it, we're in this together. When I think about the public that's listening to this news conference, I think there are three provisions that matter most. Number one, Albertans want to know that their physicians are fairly compensated so that they can continue to maintain their businesses, which are their practices, and care for them. This agreement does provide increases that are in line with other recent public sector agreements, but it is the beginning. There are valuable programs in this agreement that will also help, including a significant increase to the business cost program. And that's very important to physicians who, like other Albertans, have been struggling with rising costs for their businesses. These provisions will also help stabilize physician practices that, that our patients rely on. 
And this is important for not only the patients, but for the ability to attract new physicians into Alberta. And if we don't retain the physicians we have, why would you come into a boat that is leaking out the back end? So I think the, the challenge facing Alberta and all provinces and territories right now is there is a shortage of healthcare workers across Canada and even globally, and the competition is going to be fierce. This agreement will provide stability, and that is key to begin to attract more in. And the provisions will help us remain competitive, and we need to look forward and move forward as we work with government and all our stakeholders involved in creating solutions to problems that began before COVID, that were plaguing primary care before 2019, because we don't have those answers yet, and we need to look to them. Secondly, Albertans need their physicians and government to be able to work together in the interests of patient care. And this agreement does establish fair processes to do that, to work together, including physician compensation and new ways to pay physicians that reflect the changing needs of patients. In a complex system, disputes may arise, and this agreement does have robust dispute resolution mechanisms, so we can keep moving forward on other matters. And finally, this agreement restores the structures that have been lacking through which physicians can have input into decision-making within the system. And I'd like to point out that through Minister Copping's efforts last fall, we've begun to do this even before the agreement was ratified. Because it is important to bring expertise in when we are dealing with these significant challenges because it is such a complex system. We know that primary care has been struggling in the community we know there's massive pressure on our hospital systems. We know there's backlogs in emergency departments, but we see this across Canada, and we need to work together to find solutions for Albertans. And the Alberta Medical Association looks forward to working in partnership and collaboration together with the government of Alberta to find a way forward together. Thank you. Thank you very much. That, uh Thanks, this begins the formal portion of our uh, announcement. We'll go uh, to the question and answer portion. Um, starting with those on the line. Operator, can you put through the first caller? Denver, Well, thanks for the question. Uh, so when I came into, uh, into office as the, as the Minister of Health, um, and uh, Dr. Warren, actually, we both tell this story, is, is even though I called her predecessor, uh, basically, you know, you know, that was my first uh, phone call to an external stakeholder, uh, and her predecessor said, you, know, you need to talk to Dr. Warren, who's stepping into the role. Um, but it was really about, um, we need to work together, we need to work in partnership, uh, there are challenges facing our healthcare system, uh, and this is a healthcare system which is supported not only by you know uh, government, you know AHS, uh, doctors, nurses, um, and but we need to be working together. And how do we actually move forward to improve the relationship? So uh, I would say that we've actually made steps forward uh, over the last year to improve the relationship. You know, part of that was actually um, getting into an interest-based process. 
looking at the interests of government, the interests of the AMA, um, and you know, and what we found through that process, uh, there are many overlapping interests. Actually, we have more in common than not in terms of how do we provide better care, sustainable care uh, over the course. Uh, you know, you know, and we need to do that by by working together. And what this agreement, you know, so so I, I would argue that there would be, you know, there has been an incredible improvement in the relationship uh, over the past year. We've been working together on on items, you know, conversations regarding how do we actually address COVID, um, how do we actually address some of the challenges we're seeing in the emergency departments, uh, ongoing conversations back and forth, uh, and and then this deal. Um, helps improve that because what it also does is it's not just about the the, the money in the deal uh, and the commitment to uh, uh, innovation and, and stability, but it's also about the process in the deal that we are actually going to work together, uh, and it sets out that process. It puts mechanisms in there uh, in terms of the uh, you know the, the master committee that that's part part of the the agreement, and uh, you know I look forward to continue to work with uh, with with the AMA. Uh, and, you know, leverage this agreement to continue to build the partnership because we have some challenges and, and significant challenges that, that are facing our healthcare system. Um, but I know that we get more people at the table. Uh, we can share the ideas. Uh, we are going to be more successful in, in addressing those challenges. And when we put something in place, if it doesn't work, that's okay because we're going to change it until we do get it to work. But you need the relationship and the trust to make that happen. I don't know, Dr. Warren, if you want to comment further on that. Yeah. So the, the way that I explained it to physician members is without an agreement, it require, there is no process by which change can happen. There is no place to come forward to with member concerns other than um, through reaching out email, phone. Uh, with Minister Copping in his role, I was able to reach out many, many times. My husband would say I probably speak more to Minister Copping than him. But as a means of networking together, those specialists on the front lines that were seeing issues in real time, that it was imperative that we see action, but had no way of reaching through. So we were able to connect those physician leaders together with the health department, and we created uh, what we called an ad hoc COVID response team just to bring people in together. And that's just one example how even last fall, we began working, recognizing that we needed to connect the Department of Health, AHS, and physicians on the front line to work together in a more fluid, nimble, responsive way. This agreement gives us the process by which now physicians can bring forward requests for change, whether it's I want a, uh, a different way of being paid, whether it is looking at changing how they're, you know, whether or not you can do virtual mental health group therapy, for example, something that currently isn't, isn't covered by the scheduled medical benefits. So, Prior to this agreement, there was no place for that conversation other than me uh, harassing Minister Copping on a regular basis. But now there's a process, there is a place, there's dispute resolution. So it is going to streamline what we need to do. It is going to make the work that has to be done to make things better for Albertans. It'll make it more efficient, make it more effective so that we can do the work that needs to be done and bring all of the stakeholders together because I think the number one recognition over the past couple of years is there's nobody out there that knows the answer. And if we try to do things in a siloed approach, we're going to break it because if I touch something over here, something down there is going to break. And that's what we're seeing right now is the unintended consequences of a COVID pandemic, and none of us had a, a run-up to COVID to kind of practice. We did our best. We're nervous about the fall. We know COVID is still out there. We're predicting a really bad influenza season. Pressure's on the hospital already. 
we have to work together. We have to anticipate. We need to be smart. Saying to Albertans out there, it's still real. You know, wash your hands. Masks do work, whether you want to wear them or not. Um, and just, you know, stay home if you're sick. But be respectful if you do have to come into the hospital-based system this fall or into your family physician's office so that they're doing the best they can. Right, and we are working forward, but there are no immediate fixes. And these are solutions that, as we put them in, will start rolling forward, but it's going to take time. Thanks, Tim. Do you have a follow up? Uh, yes, I do. Um, you, you mentioned COVID there and that you're, you're nervous about the autumn. You know, obviously, the new numbers show the hospitalizations, case numbers are up. Are, are there any plans here to, to boost or alter the system before a, a potential autumn wave? Uh, I mean, will things look any different in the coming months because of the pandemic? Yeah, so there are plans in place. Like at, at the at the uh, at the first step, really, is and we've already uh, uh, rolled out the uh, the new bivalent uh, vaccine. So you know, urging all. Uh, uh, Albertans who, you know, uh, you know, if they haven't got the, their booster in the last five weeks or sorry, the last five months to actually go out and, uh, uh, and get that for, for what you're eligible for. Uh, in addition, you know, go get your flu shot. So we're actually going to be a campaign. We'll be starting in the next couple of weeks to do that because it is actually going to be a bad flu season. So that's that's the first line of defense. Uh, AHS uh, is putting in together plans to actually increase capacity, particularly in areas where there's uh, where, you know, there's stress already. Um, you know, fortunately, we saw some of the uh, uh, the, the uh, pressure come off the system from last spring uh, in in hospitals generally around the province, but not not necessarily in Calgary and Edmonton, where where there's increased uh, you know uh, increased strain on the hospital. So you know, AHS is working through their plan to add capa further capacity uh, into the hospitals, and this is part of our overall approach as a government. You know, you know. Uh, we're spending $22 billion on the expense side this year, the highest ever in the province. That was a $600 million lift this year, a $600 million lift next year, a $600 million the year after that. Uh, so we, we are investing to build capacity in the system to be able to respond to the demands. Uh, and, but then, you know, we, you know there's, there's no quick fixes, there's no easy fixes. And that's why, you know, this agreement is so important uh, because it actually provides the, uh, the base for an ongoing partnership with doctors so we can work together to solve these challenges. Thank you, operator. Can you put through the next caller? Janet Prince, CBC. Hi there. First question is for Minister Cobbing. I've heard from some family doctors who do not like this agreement. They say that the increases do not keep up with the cost of inflation that they're going to be experiencing in their businesses, so they'll actually lose money, and that the investment in uh, rural recruitment and retention strategies is a pittance compared to the size of investment actually needed to make a difference. What makes you so confident that this agreement is enough to keep family doctors working in Alberta? Yeah. So, well, thanks for the question. You know, so this is you know we heard loud and clear from the uh, from the AMA and working through these issues that we needed actually targeted money and 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 we actually see that in the agreement where additional funds. Uh, it's 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 not a straight you know. Uh, uh, one number across all of the uh, the sections, but we're actually targeting more money for family practices and, and, and you know that 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 are in need. And and it, the other key point I like to make is, is is not only are we targeting money in this in rural areas, um, but quite frankly, this is the first step. You know, it, it's you know in the conversations that we're having about um, the announcement we made last week on primary uh, rural and indigenous uh, 
care and the task force is looking at, okay, what else do we need to do? Uh, part of this is also looking at different approaches. So it's not only about the amount of money, but how are we spending that money? Are there different models um, that doctors, family practices can use, which actually would, would uh, ensure not only viability, but result in better care? Uh, so, for, for example, a, capita you know, a blended capitation model, um, where I know that some doctors are looking at. But we need to do this in concert with the AMA and with doctors, be able to roll that out, explain that there are other options uh, to support family practices. Um, and then how do we accelerate that? So, you know, this agreement provides a basis for those conversations. The, the primary care initiative, which the AMA is also involved on, on the steering committee, uh, will provide, uh, provide more opportunities for other ways that we, 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 we can, uh, uh, can we do things because we know, um, you know, this agreement won't solve all the problems, uh, but it'll take, it's a big step forward not only in providing a, an initial uh, infusion of, uh, of cash to stabilize, but also looking at how do we use our programs better. Like, so for example, you know, we're spending uh, already $90 million for, uh, um, uh, on rural physicians to be able to, for retention and attraction across the province. Um, you know, this agreement also provides opportunities for us to how do we look at that better and target that better, you know, uh, in different areas that we can put it in. So, so you know, I'm, the reason why I'm so confident is because um, this is, a partnership, it's ongoing communication. Um, it provides us tools to be able to look at different approaches that we can use to support family practice and community practices. And then we're gonna make changes as we go forward. Thank you, Janet, do you have a follow-up? Yeah, this is for Dr. Warren. Uh, so we're gonna have a new premier within a couple of weeks and possibly a government with different priorities, different agenda. And yet this agreement contains this political promise to repeal the legislation allowing the government to unilaterally rip up any agreement with the AMA. So in your mind, what is an acceptable timeline for the Alberta government to pass that bill? And what would, that would prompt you to terminate the lawsuit? All right, so thanks very much. The members um, were very clear that the lawsuit is to stay in play until the legislation is successfully repealed. And so that's actually within this agreement. In terms of what's an acceptable timeline, uh, I think legislature has to come in first. Um, and I'm not a political scientist, nor, nor a minister. So as soon as possible, I think, would be the, the answer that I can give, because that's what members are looking for. Uh, trust is something that is easily broken and is hard to rebuild. And for a lot of physicians out there, it's the actions that have been taken this year. It's the actions going forward into the future that really is going to begin rebuilding that trust. This agreement is with the government of Alberta, and it's the Ministry of Health together with the Alberta Medical Association. The premier will be different uh, after the leadership vote. There's an election next spring. It doesn't matter. Healthcare is healthcare, and patients need that care, no matter who is running the boat. And I think my plea to politicians everywhere is stability is necessary to begin rebuilding and healing and, and making change. And introduction of more chaos is not helpful. So I, I would love it if healthcare was outside of politics completely so we could focus on what we need to do. Our reality is it's not, it is tied into, into election cycles. So um, be, be cognizant that we as physicians need stability to do our jobs and nurses need stability hospitals need to be there so we can move forward and, and do the things that we need to do in our day-to-day -day lives. And that additional instability is not helpful. So getting the legislation repealed as soon as possible would be uh, great. And only once that happens does the lawsuit discontinue. 
Thank you, operator. Can you put through the next caller? Brianna Carson Smith, Global News. Hi, my question is for the minister. I mean, you were talking about the dense expansion capacity as we get into a difficult flu uh, season and increase in COVID cases. Can you speak to more what that will look like? Are we going to see more of these overflow rooms? Um, what about staffing? Uh, any details you can provide? Yeah. So, so we we have been, you know, ex expanding capacity across our entire system. Um, and just to, to recognize that when we talk about our acute care system, um, it, it's, it's a pipeline. So it's not only, um, you know, like the first step in that pipeline often is EMS, uh, then it's the emergency departments, you know, inpatient uh, beds, uh, and then um, we need to do placement into often into continuing care or, or different levels of care. Uh, and so, you know, part of our, our $600 million is uh, increasing capacity in each of those spaces. So, you know, additional $64 million for, uh, for EMS, plus we're doing a number of reviews right now, and I just re received this week the uh, uh, APEC, um, the Advisory Committee on EMS, uh, their final report and looking at changes of how we can change uh, processes within our system to actually reduce the times. Um, we, we've invi invested $100 million into increasing 50 ICU beds, uh, and all of those will be uh, um, staffed um, and, and available for, for use uh, by the end of this month. But, but just to be clear, you know, it's ICU if necessary, not necessarily ICU. Um, you know, we want to make sure that we have that for surge capacity, whatever COVID uh, or, or other uh, health issue is going to throw at us. Uh, but if they don't, we don't need the staff in the ICU. We need them on inpatient beds uh, to do that. And then on the continuing care side, you know, we're building 1,500 additional beds uh, across the province. And then we, you know, as part of Budget 22, additional $200 million, uh, for uh, um, capital for over the next three years uh, for beds on top of that. Uh, and we've just put recently put on an RFP for uh, renovations and renewals of uh, of, uh, of beds across the province. Uh, plus, AHS is is you know working with uh, with docs and quite frankly, you know conversations with the AMA docs uh, about okay, how do we change our processes within the, our emergency departments to actually streamline the ability of people coming in, uh, getting into in, in inpatient, and then out the door to uh, to continuing care. So all that work. Uh, is being done. Uh, we are high, we have more staff than ever we've had, you know, in terms of, of uh, nurses, in terms of doctors, and we are continuing to hire. Uh, I, you know, I, I've been traveling the province, uh, talking to uh, AHS employees and healthcare workers, and also external stakeholders, including uh, you know mayors and uh, people working in continuing care uh, and advisory committees. And and part of that process is as well as identifying, okay, these are you know the challenges that we're facing. Um, here's what we're doing. What else can we do to solve this? And we're getting uh, we're getting fantastic input, and we're bringing forward the results of that uh, over the next coming weeks. Thanks. Uh, do you have a follow up? I do. I'm wondering. You know, it's 980 people in hospital, 40 in ICU. We've really seen the tone of um, messaging around COVID change. When the first shots were available, there were uh, emails, there were billboards, things like that. With the bivalent, there's been literally zero um, advertising uh, to get your vaccination rather than, um, especially compared to what we were seeing earlier, the vaccination process. So I'm wondering what sort of responsibility you take in terms of uh, the messaging and how that played a role in the numbers that we're seeing right now. Uh, I'm, I, I'm going to apologize. We have a really low, um, uh, the volume sort of dropped off at the very end in terms of the question. Um, can you just sort of repeat the last part of it? And this is, and I and I heard the the intro in regards to uh, um, 
the, the approach to um, you know, vaccines. Um, sorry, the last part of the question I just didn't hear. Yeah, messaging in general has dropped off when it comes to COVID-19. There hasn't been the same sort of urgency from the province when it comes to getting vaccinated, masking, things like that. I'm wondering what sort of um, responsibility you take with the numbers that we're seeing in hospital right now. Yeah, so, so we continue to, to urge Albertans across the province to get whatever vaccine uh, they're eligible for. Uh, we will also be, you know, starting, you know, not only our, our campaign um, for for flu shots, but also urging people to not only get the flu shots, but the bivalent, you know, at the same time, because that is still the best way to protect not only ourselves, uh, but our but our healthcare system, and, and working with partners like the AMA to to get that message out. So uh, I, I I would argue that we continue uh, to push that. Now it's 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 a, it's a choice. Uh, of uh, Albertans to get that uh, to get the shot, uh, but we continue to push that message that you know, that is the best way to protect yourselves. These shots are safe. Actually, with the bivalent, uh, they provide even greater protection because they you know, deal with not only the original variant but the Omicron variant. And, and then you know, asking people to get their flu shot to be able to uh, protect themselves, their families, and quite frankly, our, our healthcare system. Thank you, operator. Can you put through the next caller? Lisa Johnson, Edmonton Journal. Hi, thanks for taking my question. This is for Dr. Blueprint. Um, in the material we received this morning, the government voted that uh, competitive compensation is important, saying that keeping Alberta physicians uh, among the highest paid on average in Canada was a goal. How would you compare Dr. Pace in Alberta to other provinces? And, and specifically, what does this deal do to change that or that anyway? Okay, so Alberta has a couple of things going for it when you are a physician uh, working. Number one, um, what attracted physicians into Alberta uh, in the years past, so prior to 2019, was a vision. It was a vision of something called the patient's medical home. It was a vision of every Albertan having a primary care physician working in a team to look not only at treating your illnesses as they arise, but also in prevention. Um, and then part of what we call the medical neighborhood, where we had specialists working within that medical home, helping care for patients. And it was groundbreaking. Uh, Alberta led the way with primary care networks. It was leading the way with alternative compensation, recognizing that patients that are complex with multiple medical conditions need more appointments, but they need a multidisciplinary approach to treat all of the components of their, of their diseases and illnesses to make sure they have the best quality of life and putting the patient at the center of that. And that's what attracted physicians in. Physicians are compensated well in Alberta, but like everywhere, they went through a period of time where there was no increases. Physicians are businessmen. They, uh, particularly in the community, they run uh, their own businesses out of um, the money that they bill to Alberta Health. They have to pay leases, salaries, all of that sort of thing, and pay for their medical equipment. And as all Albertans know, inflation has been rough, and physicians, just like the local restauranter, uh, are facing that. Unlike Tim Hortons, we have a single-payer system, which means that when inflation goes up, I have to go to Minister Copping and, and say, hey, we need more money. And that's what this negotiation was about. The problem is um, looking at, is there a better way that we can now deal with the lack of physicians that we have 
we have physicians who I would argue are very astute business people because they are still practicing in their clinics despite having gone through a global pandemic. And as we all know, we've seen businesses close left, right, and center. Physicians are no different. We've seen closures. So this agreement is a beginning. It gives physicians an increase at a time when it's needed, but it also sets the stage for more. It sets the stage for us to sit down with all of the stakeholders to say, how can we do this better? Is there a better way to provide care to Albertans in a medical home, team-based care? How do we do that? How do we fund that? Um, do physicians want to work in one giant clinic, one smaller clinic? There's all sorts of, of things that need to be talked about. And that's really what this new primary care task force is going to be doing, is to look at these bigger issues and say, these problems were pre-existing, these problems were across Canada. Primary care has been struggling because you've got to be really smart as a primary care physician because you're dealing with all ages from cradle to grave. And in the rural communities, you're in the community running your business, but then you're in the hospital looking after patients in the emergency room. And I'm a rural primary care physician and a business owner, so I, I, I totally get uh, where this question's coming from. But the reality is physicians also want choice. And they need to be able to practice the way that meets their needs. And when I look at physicians, they are always there. They're always doing what they can do for their patients, but they're struggling. And so this agreement is the beginning of rebuilding relationships, but also trying to stabilize practices now so that we can answer those bigger questions going forward. Thanks, Lisa. Do you have a follow-up? Yeah, I have a follow-up. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I'm wondering, Minister, the UCP has long argued that the province needed to rein in Dr. Pay, bring itself in line with other comparator provinces. So how does this deal represent a shift in the UCP's priorities or a continuation of those priorities? And how does it align exactly with the recommendations of the McKinnon panel? This is, you know, when you, when you start talking about uh, mutual gains bargaining, you look at everybody's interests, right? Uh, so, you know, we have joint common interests in terms of having uh, viable practices, uh, be able to, you know, physicians who can actually provide the services to Albertan. Uh, and we know that we've had challenges, and this is even prior to COVID, particularly in rural areas, but since COVID, it's accelerated in terms of access primary to, to uh, uh, family physicians and, uh, and primary care. And our objective is really, as a, as a government, is you know we, we look at the the cost that we put into the system is is how do we actually ensure that we we bring in um, you know the, the cost what we what we spend on doctors in into line with other competitive provinces right on the, so so this agreement um, allows us time to jointly do that assessment and say where are the various and and and, and just to be clear um, you know the you know even though it's a single agreement over uh, over um, uh, overall doctors, the reality is, is that, you know, different specialties and, and different sectors uh, of doctors have, you know, different business models associated with that and, and different pays at rates associated with the, with the, uh, with the fee-for-service models uh, and actually have diff different earnings. And, and there's even a recognition of this in the agreement in terms of, you know, dealing with internal equity issues, so saying we need to get more money to family physicians because that's the, quite frankly, that's the workhorse. That is where we have the, uh, the greatest shortages. And quite, that's the bedrock of our, uh, our healthcare system, uh, and we need to get that working. So even when we've recognized in the conversation, we need to shift some of the money uh, there. We're going to do 
do the assessment to make sure that our costs are competitive. And competitive goes both ways. It's competitive in terms of, uh, you know, let's say for overpaying a certain area, then we'll, we'll drop that down. But if we're underpaying a certain area, that increases it up. But our objective as a government has been simply we want competitive, uh, competitive pay for doctors. We need doctors in our system. Uh, but we need to work jointly together to find solutions because it's not all about just the 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 amount we're paying is is you know are we getting the best value from that uh, and does it work for doctors like you know hearing from family physicians that you know they're spending some of them are spending far too much time uh, in regards to red tape and and uh, um, which actually increase their ability to be able to to perform services uh, and so do we you know how do we actually reduce that what actually reduces uh, reduces their cost because really at the end of the day it's you know after they you know they uh, um, get their revenue source from the, the government um, what do they take home uh, and is that competitive they can do elsewhere and actually and, and it's and it's not always just about the money it's about the work-life balance it's about you know am I do I believe I'm contributing to a system that supports me uh, all these other pieces that dr. Warren is talking about and, and this agreement talks to some of that plus the primary care initiative that we announced last week will focus on that uh, more directly Thank you very much. Operator, can you put through the next caller? Catherine Grzegowski, Alberta Today. Hi, thanks. These are questions for the minister. Um, minister, have you spoken with each of the UCP leadership candidates to receive assurance that they will bring in that repeal of Section 40.2 when the fall sitting is in session? with all the leadership candidates uh, about this deal, and, and, uh, and I can tell you that they understand the importance uh, of, of the deal, and they understand the importance of uh, of doctors in terms of moving forward. Thanks, Catherine. Do you have a follow-up? Yeah. And it seems like there has been, in Alberta, this, this cycle of, well, costs are too high, we need to get our fiscal house in order, um, then there's cuts, um, healthcare workers leave the province, and then you need to bring in these recruitment and retention incentives, and, and then the, the cycle repeats. So when we're coming up to year four of this agreement with the market review, the global rate review, what's going to stop this same cycle from playing out? Well, when we take a look at our, our you know, well, first of all, let me take a step back. This, this cycle is, um, you know, that you, you comment on, and I don't, you know, uh, it may be cyclical in Alberta, but the, the reality is, is that this is a challenge to being faced across the entire country uh, in terms of access to healthcare workers and, and, and quite frankly, in the entire first world. So we, we are moving on plans to, to address this long-term, medium-term, and, and quite frankly, short-term. You know, long-term, um, you know, as part of Budget 2022, significant investment in post-secondary institutions, particularly for healthcare workers. We need to train and grow our own. Um, so, you know, we've made that investment uh, through post-secondary institutions across the provinces, so nursing uh, programs, uh, LPN programs, uh, healthcare aid programs, and other allied health professionals. Um, in addition, we also understand immigration is uh, a lever that we can pull. Um, and so we, we are doing that um, right now, as I, you know, I mentioned before, uh, success in a number of locations uh, across the province of attracting foreign trained doctors uh, and working with the colleges to reduce the, uh, the barriers associated with assessment so they can actually get them here quicker. Uh, and not just the, 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 uh, the College of Physicians and Surgeons, but also uh, the nursing colleges and actually streamlining that process as that work is going on. And then leveraging those that we have. Uh, you know, we are fortunate in, uh, in uh, the province of Alberta. So, for example, pharmacists have the uh, 
um, you know, the highest scope of practice. Uh, and so they can help out as part of a allied health team providing primary care uh, to, you know, um, whether it be looking at, you know, uh, uh, prescriptions and, and re renewing them without having to see a family doctor. Uh, and so all of this, we're moving forward. So, so I think, you know, in terms of, you know, where are we going to be in four years? Well, part of the work of this agreement, you know, particularly with doctors is, is you know, how do we set up different method of pays that, that enable all allied health professors health professionals to participate you know how do we actually grow over the uh, the next number of years the you know training our own so we ha we have more supply in all healthcare workers uh, and then streamline the immigration process so you know I, the uh, i appreciate your comment in terms of the you know you get into the uh, um, cut and uh, additional funding and cut additional funding we need to transform our system uh, so we get out of that cycle. Part of that is the the, the training. The sort of the and part of this agreement is also setting up a uh, a long term planning um, for doctor supply, which is in this agreement, and understanding how we're going to attract and retain doctors on that. Uh, and then part of it is actually looking at transformation and different methods of pay, so we continue to hold on to uh, to doctors. And quite frankly, we need to do this for other healthcare professionals as well. Thank you, Minister, and thank you, Dr. Warren. Uh, that is all the time we have today. Uh, if you have any other questions, please feel free to follow up with our office. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you.